You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant. We're an evangelical covenant church located outside of Ellsworth in western Wisconsin. I'm Todd Speaker, the pastor here, and you can learn more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. We're going to be looking uh, at Elijah. This is the last Sunday that we're going to look at Elijah. There's more to Elijah's story. I encourage you to read it. It continues into Second Kings. Uh, there's really great stuff, but, but I wanted to focus on one more thing that, that happens to Elijah. So we're going to be in First Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. We're going to kind of walk through the story of Elijah. Um, but before we do, um, I wanted to just make a quick reference. Perfect. Um, a quick reference, you know, this, this part of Elijah's story uh, deals with um, themes of uh, very severe depression. Um, and there's a moment, we're just going to read it in, in a second, where Elijah um, wishes for his own life to end. And, and so whenever we talk about um, depression, anxiety, or, or even, um, even people wanting to, wanting to die or suicide, um, one thing that I think is really important to do is to mention the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. It's 1-800-273-8255. And if somebody within the sound of my voice is in the Facebook stream, I invite you to just put that number right in the comments. I didn't put it in the description, but if somebody needs that, uh, we want to have it there. So 1-800-273-8255. 8255. And that number uh, is really important because you can call that number at any time if you're going through a, a serious uh, or even, um, you know, you're, you're tough, so you call it a mild experience of, of uh, any kind of mental distress. So whether it's anxiety or depression or suicidal ideation or anything like that, if you're going through it, you can call that number and somebody will be on the phone with you immediately to talk to you. And so if you have, obviously, if a friend that you need to talk to, talk to your friend. If you've got family you need to talk to, talk to family. If you want to talk to your pastor, reach out to me, talk to me. Uh, but if you're not sure who to talk to, that number is an awesome way to talk to somebody who cares about you just like that. Um, so I encourage you that. I've um, had to call that for other people before, and I can t- attest that it really works well. It's really fast. Uh, they're super helpful. They're super nice. Uh, nobody ever says, well, what'd you call us for? No, like they're, they're really, really good. Really recommend and encourage that. Uh, because when we talk about these things, sometimes it brings up stuff that's going on in our lives already. And so, uh, and I encourage you that if you're going through any of this stuff, you're going through some of the stuff that Elijah, uh, is going through to, to turn, uh, turn to God. We're going to talk about that side of it too, but make sure you also turn to helpful human beings that care and about you and love you. Um, so, uh, that said, <clears throat> Uh, like like I've said before, we're kind of going through this story of Elijah, and, and I've been calling it showdown because what's happening is uh, Elijah, his name means Yahweh is my God, and it, his life is defined by that sentence. And so he keeps running into different people, uh, and, and Yahweh, Elijah's God, keeps going up against somebody else. And there's just showdown after showdown, right? The first one, Elijah's in the desert, and he doesn't have any food. And you wonder, who's going to win? The natural elements, the lack of water, the lack of rain, the lack of food? Or is, is Yahweh who is in control? And, and so God provides for Elijah in the desert by feeding him uh, from the mouths of ravens and with a brook. Uh, and then uh, when the brook dries up, God provides for Elijah by introducing him to someone uh, that can feed him too. And, and so there's this showdown after showdown. And of course, the big one, Elijah stands in this big field and, 
and challenges the prophets of Baal to this contest. And so this whole section of 1 Kings is all about these contests. It's like, okay, you've got Elijah's God on one side and something else on the other, and and they're about to, to do battle. And what I think is really interesting about this particular story is it's kind of, it's kind of like a showdown between Elijah, whose name says Yahweh is my God, and and Yahweh a little bit. Um, so it, it's kind of kind of interesting. First um, Kings chapter nineteen, verses one through five. Um, something happens that totally uh, messes up Elijah's day. If you remember, things are going really, really, really good. All the people of Israel just witnessed fire come down from heaven. And they all declared together, Yahweh is our God. And so Elijah, you know, if you're Elijah, this is what you've hoped for your whole life, right? He runs ahead of the king, and the king is doing everything that he tells him to do, and he's getting ready to make everything right. And then uh, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 5 happens. It says, when Ahab, this is the king that a minute ago was taking all of Elijah's orders. Uh, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel. Jezebel's his wife. She's the one that's kind of been uh, bringing in all this Baal worship stuff. He tells uh, Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel uh, sent this message to Elijah, and it should come as no surprise to us that she's not very happy. She says, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. So Jezebel writes a message. She gets a messenger. She sends it to Elijah and says, if you're not dead by this time tomorrow, Elijah. I hope the gods wipe me out. This is her promise. This is the level of her threat. And so it says, verse 3, Elijah was afraid for some reason. I'm not sure why, right? Uh, He was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He left his his buddy, if you remember last week, that was checking to see if it was going to rain. He leaves him in Beersheba, and then he uh, moves on. It says, then he went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Listen to Elijah's prayer. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, I know as I was reading this, and I know this story, um, it's it's really kind of jarring because just a couple of lines ago, Elijah had what would be the biggest victory of his of his life, and now one message has sent him to the complete opposite side from kind of the best day ever mountaintop experience to the, the lowest possible situation. And so it should be a little surprising. I think this might be one of the quickest turnarounds in Scripture for somebody to go. Like, so good to, like, so, so bad, just just like that. Because um, two pages ago, and, and here I've got it, I've got it right here. Um, oh, yeah, I had that slide, too. There we go. All right. Uh, two pages ago, um, <clears throat> sorry, here we go. A page ago, Elijah stands face-to-face with his king, right? Uh, a king that's been trying to kill him. Uh, two pages ago, um, he's being fed by ravens and then out of a bottomless jar of flour. Two pages ago in First Kings, uh, Elijah watched a dead little boy come back to life. Okay, I, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anything that miraculous. But two pages ago, Elijah watched a dead little boy breathe again. 
Um, and then a page ago, he stands face to face with the king that's been trying to kill him, and he just gets right up in his face, and nothing happens to him. Uh, a half a page ago, Elijah stands in front of a whole nation of people that disagree with him completely, uh, that have abandoned Yahweh. And you know what he does in front of all the people that think differently than him? Surrounded by, um, you know, the priests and the armies, and they've got swords. We know that because they're cutting themselves. So, so in front of them, he mocks their God, okay? This is what Elijah just did. A crowd of people, and he's mocking uh, their, their God. Two paragraphs ago, Elijah is running with supernatural power ahead of the king um, in the middle of a miraculous rainstorm that just ended a three-year drought. Um, uh, what Elijah's going through right now, to put it in, in terms that I can understand, I mean, it's like if tomorrow somebody snapped their fingers and there wasn't a virus anymore and everything just returned back to normal. Like, like that's what just happened. But then Elijah gets a text message. He gets a message uh, from Jezebel. And in one message, and all of that is forgotten. One message, and all of that is, is completely erased. One message, and he's ready to quit. Have you, have you ever had a, a message like that before? Things are going great. Oh, man, it's just a great day. And all of a sudden, somebody says something, sends you something, tells you something, you hear about something, and it just pulls the rug out from under you, and you went from up here to down to down here. Something unexpected happens, something that shouldn't happen. And if you're like me in those moments, uh, you just go straight into kind of one place or the other. You get that message, and it's either despair like Elijah, or it's denial. You're like, okay, no, that can't quite be true. Let's figure out what's really going on. I don't, I, I don't believe that, that news. You know, despair or denial. There must be a mistake or woe is me. And, and maybe if you're like me, you kind of ping pong back and forth. You're like, it's not fair. Why is this happening? This can't be happening. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's really bad. And it could have been a big thing. It could have been a small thing. But at one point in your life, your phone buzzed or the mail came or the flashy light showed up in your rear view mirror. Not speaking from experience. <sighs> Or maybe you, you woke up and remembered it was 2020. Um, but in the desert, something happened. You, you, you know, it, it just sent you down. And that's Elijah. That's what he's going through. And, and maybe we think, you know, Elijah's a real example of faith. He should be different. Um, but for whatever reason, he's not. He lies down under the tree, closes his eyes, and doesn't want them to come open again. But in the desert, he encounters another messenger. He gets another message. Your Bible um, most likely translates this as angel, um, and that's probably what the messenger was. But uh, it's the same word they would have used for the person that brought Jezebel's message. So he got one message from over here, and he just got uh, a message from another messenger. It says in verse 5 that he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel, a messenger of the Lord, touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around there beside his head, and there was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. <clears throat> he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came and touched him again and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And so Elijah is doing what he's told, right? He eats, he lays down, and then he goes. It's kind of funny. Um, the, the, the authors that wrote the story, they're trying to um, show you something a little bit about what's going on with Elijah. And if you pay close attention, you'll notice that Elijah all of a sudden is acting just like all the other characters were, right? Before, anytime Elijah said something to someone, they reacted immediately. You know, he said, uh, let's have a contest. And so Ahab has a contest. Or, or he says, you know, um, 
And he tells the servant, like, show me to uh, Ahab. And the servant wants to run away. You know, it's, he's reacting now. And so Elijah, he's reacting. He's not in a good place, but he's, he's following instructions. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And so he goes on this long journey. And after a long journey, he arrives at Mount Sinai. Um, now, you might recognize the name Mount Sinai because it's the first place that God's people uh, stopped after they escaped slavery in Egypt. Okay, so, so Egypt, Israel, uh, desert. This is where Elijah's Mount Sinai is right here. So they come over from Egypt and immediately stop at Mount Sinai. And that's where Moses climbs the mountain to meet God. And so if you want to find God and you're not sure where to look in the ancient world, Mount Sinai is a pretty good place to start. Um, this is where uh, Elijah winds up. Um, so God feeds him. He sends his messengers to, to bring Elijah here to, to make it so Elijah survives the journey. And uh, God looks down on him, and he sees his despair on the mountain, and God asks Elijah a question. Now, obviously, God knows the answers to the questions that he's asking, because he knows us better than we know ourselves. But God asks anyway, because he wants Elijah to, to say for himself. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And this is the showdown. This is that kind of back and forth, right? Uh, he gives Elijah a chance to tell him the story that he's been telling himself. God says, Elijah, what story are you telling yourself about how you wound up here on this mountain? And I, if we listen closely, I think we get a pretty good idea of why one little message uh, wrecked Elijah's life, right? Because we know what's happened. You know the story. We've been uh, belaboring poor Elijah these last three weeks. You know what he's been through. You know where he's going. You know, you know what's happened to him. Um, but Elijah tells a very different story than what we've read in 1 Kings, Okay, uh, it's not false completely, um, but but he leaves out stuff that maybe you and I would include if we were telling the story of Elijah. He tells it a little different. It's not exactly a lie, um, but it's definitely a different way of looking at his life. Uh, Elijah replies, verse ten. God says, "Why are you here?" Elijah says, "I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you." This is all true so far, right? Uh, they've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And what's interesting about Elijah's story is what's missing. Well, he doesn't say anything about a little boy coming back from death to life, does he? He doesn't say a word about the king of Israel following every one of his commands. He doesn't mention that a page ago, people were chanting, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God. He doesn't mention fire from heaven. Uh, instead, he focuses on other true things, right? Why are you here, Elijah? He says, I served Yahweh, but they turned their back. Why are you here, Elijah? Uh, now I'm alone and they're going to kill me. Why are you here, Elijah? I did what I was supposed to do, but things didn't turn out how I wanted them to. I think Elijah has been telling himself a story about his life these last few chapters. Uh, I, I want to call it the story of the good prophet. That's Elijah, right? The story of the good prophet. And his story maybe goes something like this. If, if I serve Yahweh as the good prophet, the people will change. If I serve Yahweh as the good prophet, then people will turn their back from the edge. And, and Elijah lived the story out, right? He did everything he was supposed to do. When his, uh, uh, his actions, but, but, but when his actions as the perfect prophet, 
that does everything right, that never gives up, that does what he's supposed to do, and his actions as the perfect prophet didn't result in a happily ever after ending, his trust for God evaporated. And all of a sudden, uh, the lady who had been um, against him this whole time suddenly seemed like a real threat. That one message from Jezebel exposed a flaw in his story, and he ran when something happens to us, when a person comes into our lives and acts a way that, that drives us crazy, that messes things up, when something happens that takes uh, the story that we've been telling and, and messes it up, it, it hurts. Things get bad quick. And you can go from way up here to way down here. You can spiral like that. It's like getting punched in the gut. The way I think about it, um, if, if you guys, I got, I got Molly and Kyle in here. Did you guys ever watch Roadrunner? when you were kids? Okay, right, so Roadrunner, uh, Wile E. Coyote chases Roadrunner, and, and all the time, Roadrunner um, tricks Wile E. Coyote into running off the edge of a cliff, right? Right, and, and Wile E. Coyote's fine. Sometimes he, like, sits down and, like, like, is hanging out, but he's fine until he looks down, right? And what happens when Wile E. Coyote looks down? He falls. This is exactly what it's like. You know, Wile E. Coyote's telling himself a story that he's on ground, and as soon as he realizes he's not, he falls. And the same thing happens to us when somebody comes into our life and messes up the story that we think our life is about. And if that story, the challenge to that story is big enough, if it messes us up enough, it's really hard to recover from. And we might not even recognize that we're telling a story about our lives until something messes it up. You know, um, if you're telling the story of the good provider, you don't even know you're calling yourself that until you get laid off, and all of a sudden, everything crashes. Maybe uh, the perfect, you're telling the, the story of the perfect, complete family, and you don't realize you're telling the story of the perfect, complete family until something not so perfect happens. Maybe you're telling the story of the good, hardworking student, and you get a bad grade, even though you did everything you were supposed to do, and the story collapses. Perhaps uh, one of the stories that you've been telling this year uh, was challenged. And maybe, I don't know about you, but my 2020 vision is not looking so good uh, this, this year. But for Elijah, it was Jezebel's message. And it proved that his obedience to God had not produced the result that he was expecting. And that message was enough for him to give up on the mission and run. It proved that even though he did everything right, he couldn't control the actions of others. But God doesn't leave Elijah. God doesn't condemn Elijah. God doesn't forget Elijah because Yahweh is his El, right? He's his God. And so he sends his own messenger to feed him. He leads him to Mount Sinai and does two important things for Elijah. Uh, it continues on verse 11. Uh, Elijah tells a story and God says, okay, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But God, uh, the Lord, sorry, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, 
went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Uh, God reveals himself to Elijah. He shows Elijah uh, that he's not always in the places that you expect him and the outcomes that you're hoping for and the situations you're trying to control. God reveals himself to Elijah and says, hey, Elijah, guess what? I'm telling a different story. And so he tries again. God says, what are, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah uh, is still learning, right? He replies again, same thing. I have done what I'm supposed to do, but they didn't do what they were supposed to do. I served you, but the people, they broke their covenant. I'm the only one left, and now they're going to kill me. I, but they. You have to get a new one of these, huh? Oh. The Lord told him, go back the same way that you came. And travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, and this is going to sound weird because we don't recognize a lot of these names. He says, anoint Hazelel to be king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Meholoah, to replace you as my prophet. Um, now, those are a bunch of names, and we're like, well, what does this do? It says, anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Uh, the reason God gives him this mission, he gives him this command, he's inviting Elijah to be a part of God's story instead of uh, Elijah inviting God to bless his. He says, Elijah, I have other people that you don't know about. There are 7,000 other people. You are not alone. You don't know about them, but you are not alone. There are people you don't know about who are faithful. In fact, my story, God says, about my people and my world, it's going to continue after you. Go and anoint and empower the people that are going to carry the torch in the future. God says, there are people you don't know about. There are plans that you don't know about. I'm doing things you can't see. And what God is doing here is this. He's saying, Elijah, I love you, but the story is not about you. It's not about your actions. It's not about your success. It's not about your failure. It's not about you. The outcomes that you're despairing over, the results that you're despairing over, the tragedy that you're despairing over, they are ultimately not your problem, God says. They're mine. I'm in control. I'm still at work, God says. And then he says, here's how you can be a part of the story that I'm telling. You see, Elijah was telling himself a good story. It wasn't immoral. It was loyal to God. It was all about his loyalty to God. The only problem was, was that his story was all about Elijah, his faithfulness, his success, how others responded to him. But even good, hopeful stories, they lead to despair or denial when they aren't centered on God. The problem was, his story was still about Elijah. And, and often as Christians, um, and myself, uh, worse than the rest, right? We are very good at including God in the stories that we're telling. We're really good in finding a place for God. We carve out a place for him in our lives. We try to do the right things, to be faithful. We might even make really incredibly selfless sacrifices for him. And, and people might even look at us, and, and I know people, I look at this way, and they say, you know, that person's really following God. Look at what they gave up. Look at what they did. Look at how they're living your life. But the one thing that we are hesitant to sacrifice, 
the one thing that's hardest for me to let go of, and I think it's hardest for most of us, is the place of author of our stories. We insist on telling it ourselves. We insist that we're the main character. And what Elijah failed to realize was that as long as his story was about his success as defined by the responses of others, it was on extremely shaky ground. It only took one failure to obliterate that foundation because when you write your own story, you're a text message away from despair and denial. The truth is, right, that if First Kings was about Elijah, if the story really did end with him like Elijah felt like it did in that moment, he was a failure. The people didn't uh, repent forever. The kingdom didn't turn around. Their moment of repentance in the field didn't change the nation. Things would get worse in Israel. If the story is about Elijah, he's right. He, he, he failed. But it's not, right? Because Elijah uh, had successors, and God mentions those successors, and they go on to do what God says that they'll do. They would topple Ahab's dynasty. Their faithfulness would inspire uh, other remnants throughout history. God would use their faithfulness in other times to tell his story. One day, a guy named John the Baptist would be compared to Elijah, and they'd say, John, are you Elijah? And, and he would respond to say, hey, this story is not about me. He'd point the focus to Jesus, God's own son who would die and rise again in the place of all sinners, proving that the story of the world, again, isn't about me or what I do or what happens even in the most important events of my life. The story of the world is about a God who loves it enough to die on its behalf. And an invitation that anyone can lay down their stories of selfishness, sinfulness, and despair and become a part of the new life story that God is telling from the beginning. And we're invited to be a part of that. So, so here's the one takeaway. Somebody told me this, and I, and I messed it up already. So you already saw the slide. Um, I, I messed it up. Um, somebody told me this when I was in college. And, and you know, it sounds a little cheesy, uh, but, and maybe it doesn't feel like it's very strong in the middle of these, these highs and lows in life. But I think this works in every uh, situation we go into. Uh, I think this works in the middle of pandemics. I think it works in the middle of winning awards. Um, I think it works in the emergency room. I think it works in the nursing home. I think it works in the factory. I think it works on election day. Uh, believe it or not, I really do. I think it works at Thanksgiving when you and your beloved family members are at each other's throat. It works in the biggest celebrations and the greatest losses. And it was taught to me when I first started college. And it's not very pastory, uh, but, it, but it's this. Uh, it's not about you. Not about me. I'm sorry, but it's, it's not. But, but there's beauty in this, right? We are invited to, to claim this. That the story of my life is not about me. We're invited to hand over the steering wheel of our lives, put down the pen that we are using to tell our own stories, to abandon the attempts to direct and control and white-knuckle grip the wheel of our lives and say these simple words, it's not about me. In the church, um, one way we do this has lots of names. When I was a kid, we called it accepting Jesus into your heart. Uh, or calling Jesus our Lord and Savior, uh, or when I was a little older, we called it praying the prayer. But it's a way of saying, yes, God, I believe you. It's not about 
me. Because what we're doing is this. We're faced with the same choice Elijah had, the same kind of showdown as he comes down off the mountain. Will we lay our lives down and our stories down to be a part of God's or, or not? Will we continue to hold a death grip on our destiny or will we fully surrender ourselves? Will we lay our story down? Remember, it's not about us. So um, what I want to do is invite us to accept, to believe, to buy into the story that God is telling about us and about this world and to the beautiful, encouraging truth that should save us any time that we feel like we've failed, that it's not about Todd. It's not about you either. No offense. I'm sorry. Will we allow the Holy Spirit to turn our lives and drive our actions? So if you've never done that before, if you've never prayed that prayer or given Jesus your heart or admitted that you really do believe that it's not about me, uh, this is an opportunity to do that. If you'd like to make a commitment to do that, to accept Jesus and his story and lay down your own, I invite you to pray with me. And you can pray something like this, Father God, my story has led me to hurting myself and others and you. As I try and control every action of other people, every result, every outcome, I leave destruction in my wake. I can't escape my selfishness and the stories of my own culture. I confess my sin and my failure, God. But I believe that your son, Jesus, died and rose again. And that that means uh, that the story that you're telling with this world has a place for me in it. So for his sake, Lord, forgive me. And by your Holy Spirit, make me new. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.